0: Some of you know that myself and a team of us moved up to Flagstaff. Was that a clap? Did I get a clap? Oh, sweet. Yeah, sweet. That was unexpected. Thank you. Um, uh, we, uh, we moved up on June 1st, a team and, and my wife and I, to begin, uh, begin the work of planning redemption flagstaff. And I'm here to report that it's going phenomenally. okay? Uh, Pastor Ricardo is, is out of town. He's in San Francisco actually today, hanging out with Justin. And so, well wishes to them. Um, but our team moved up. We've been up there for five weeks, and, and we're getting a lot of questions about what we're doing. So, let me say this June was awesome. We took time to invest in our core team, move, which was kind of a big deal, find housing, find jobs. And by the grace, of God, literally every single person from our core team, which is 14 people, got a job and a very good one at that, and so that's a praise to what God is doing because, yes, yes, I love it. and also got great housing. I mean, we have people that are really walking to work every day, so that's, that's a good thing as well. So that was June, and we did a lot of core team study and development and strategy and things like that so that this July we would roll out some new things. So this last week... Um Yeah, this last week, we launched two redemption communities. Uh, One focused on a particular apartment complex as their missional focus, uh, developing community within there. And then another one focused on the kind of the community gardening aspect of what happens up in Flag, which is very prevalent up there as well. And so we've launched two RCs, and we had our first... Sunday morning worship time. And let me, let me describe this because this is a question we get all the time. Where are you meeting? What time is your service? And that, and that type of deal. We don't have a Sunday service. right? You will not find this type of expression in Flagstaff right now. We hope to get there. But the idea is we're really small right now, and the moment you launch some typical Sunday deal, you get a bunch of people that are gonna jump over to check it out, but then the next time a church plant comes into town, they're also the same people that leave to go to check out that one as well, okay? So we wanna invest in our people, disciple our people, um, mentor and get the vision, the value and the mission of what Redemption Flagstaff is all about early on here, okay? So what we are doing on Sundays, if you are visiting, contact us because every morning on Sundays, we get together, we sing a bunch of songs, we pray a bunch, and then we have brunch together, which is awesome, right? So last week we had a waffle bar, phenomenal, right? So um, it was it was a good night, and they're doing it again this morning. And so what I want to do is wrap up this time here uh, by saying, let's pray for Redemption Flagstaff, if you would, with me. Let's pray for our time together. And if you have any other questions, you want to pray or God, you want to prospect us. Um, oh. Thank you to those of you who are praying. Thank you to those of you who are giving. If you're not praying or giving, please begin to do both of those. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather around your name. God, it's such a blessing for me to come here and see so many familiar faces. Um, It's only been five weeks, so that makes sense, God, but um, I'm really blessed to be here today. God, I'd ask that you would bless our core team And those that would gather with Redemption Flagstaff this morning. God, ultimately that what they do would give you glory. And that what we would do would give you glory and praise. Because it's about you and it's not about us. And so God, bless us this morning. Teach us and lead us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Alright, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, open it. If you don't, we've got guys that will bring one to you. If you don't own a Bible, period. uh, You can keep this. This is our gift to you. All right, Daniel chapter 3. And as you're going there, let me give you some context if you haven't been with us for the last couple weeks. So we're in a series called Faithful. Um, we, have, we took four weeks to look at the life of Joseph at the end of, uh, the end of the book of Genesis, and then now we 're looking at the first six chapters of Daniel and looking at the life of Daniel and how he is faithful, but more so how God is faithful to him and to us and to his people and we 're going to continue to see that thread in today 's message as well as we look at Daniel chapter three, but where we 've come from is essentially we 've got the Jews who are now in, in, in Babylon in captivity trying to be assimilated into the culture there so Nebuchadnezzar and the rest of the Babylonian officials said, listen, the best way for us to get these people to buy into, to become citizens of our empire is to take the smartest and the brightest. We're gonna bring them over. We're gonna teach them what it means to be a Babylonian. We're gonna get them into our culture. And so this way, the smartest and the brightest now in essence belong to us, the culture makers and, and that type of thing. So they have been brought over and it came in three waves. And so there's a huge contingent, a huge remnant of, of, of Jews in Babylon now And they're being encouraged via prophets to love the city, care for the city. And then last week we saw um, that that the guys are, sorry, uh, Daniel goes in to meet King Nebuchadnezzar and interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I've got, I had this dream and he calls in all his wise men and says, I need someone to not just interpret it, I need you to tell me what I dreamt And then interpret it for me. So, tough boss, but Daniel's able to do it. Daniel saves the day. Everyone was going to get slaughtered, but he comes in, tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream, and then interprets it for him, and then that picks us up to chapter 3, where that will also be prevalent. So, verse 1. Read with me. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So what we've got here is this enormous statue. When you're talking 60 by 6 in cubits, you're talking 90 by 9 feet. So nine stories high, essentially in the middle of Kansas, right? So flat ground, plains everywhere. Everyone can see this enormous statue because it's made of gold, right? And some people would debate whether or not it was solid gold or if it was gold-plated. Either way, it's it's gold, right? And so it's glimmering in the middle of these plains, and everyone can see it and worship it. And so this is in response to, like I said, the dream interpretation from chapter two. So, uh, so Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, here's what I see in your dream. It is this image, this figure, where at the head is a head of gold. Then there's a body of silver. There are thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of clay. And he says each, each one of these metals is, is a less gloried civilization or empire that will secede and follow yours. And so Nebuchadnezzar hears that. And if you go back to chapter 2, he actually says, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries." So there's this proclamation by Nebuchadnezzar about who this God is who could interpret this dream. Right? But, then, but then just a chapter later, see, he builds this statue made of pure gold, solid gold, head to toe, every part of the body gold, to say our empire is going nowhere. There will be no one after us because nothing will happen to us. And so there's that immediate proclamation and then right after a God, uh, you know, your God, he was right and he was able to tell me my dream, but I don't like what it says and so I'm just gonna avoid it altogether and then build this statue to proclaim the excellencies and the glory of the Babylonian empire okay, this becomes problematic, this becomes problematic, and I think um, we, we can relate with this, there's grace for him in this, because sometimes it takes us kind of that extra bit for even us to believe something fully, right, so oftentimes, like, like this, I remember when I was growing up, I had, uh, I probably had some, some issues as a seven-year-old where I was not the best son, and parents probably couldn't understand a, a seven-year-old that talks back to a certain extent, um, can they amen for any parents, No? Oh, you guys have great kids, all right. Um, so I remember being seven. We're at the mall, and, and I'm kind of acting like a brat to my mom the whole day, right? She's, don't touch that, and don't eat that, and get off the floor, and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, 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 and, um, and, uh, and just kind of being a jerk. And then she says something to me, and I don't remember what it was, but I, I, I shove her, right? Right, yeah, I know. I'm seven, okay? I'm tiny. She went nowhere, all right? But... Um, but nevertheless, I, I shoved my mom, and I remember looking over in my peripheral and seeing my father and, and never seeing something so red or as much steam in my life, and he charges him, and grabs me by the shirt, lifts me up off the ground against the wall in the middle of the mall. I'm seven, right? And says, if you ever touch your mom again, I will kill you. I can barely hug my mom these days. It's just, Right? But man, from that moment on, I am this, I'm the best child that's ever been. And I'm, and I'm not even kidding. There was, this, there was this shift, this moment where I was like, okay, I'm doing something wrong and I don't want that to happen again, so I'm going to start doing this. And, and I think Nebuchadnezzar somewhat begins to have this moment, but, but he's getting ready to really make a mess of things here before he gets there. So verse 2 says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then all of those people uh, gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of those instruments and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here's, here's the picture, right? Everyone is called together. The entire officials of the land are called together for the dedication ceremony, if you will, of this statue. To, to, again, to glory in, to revel in, to worship uh, the Babylonian Empire. Right, to say, man, this is this is what we have done, this is the achievement, we will last forever. And then every time music is played, they have to get down on their knees and worship. Right. So it made me think of I was at two weddings last week and you know, every time someone clinks the glass, the couple has to kiss, right? And it's super cute the first two times, but then there's that jerk in the corner that's like just like Ooh, you know, and you're like, dude, I get it, I'm married, I don't need to keep doing that. Um it's that same idea. There's this music probably constantly playing. Everywhere you would go, there's this somebody picking on. And so there's this constant idea of a holistic worship of the Babylonian Empire. That, that every aspect, every moment, at any time, you could have to bow down and worship, give glory to this golden image set up for the glory of Babylon and, and not God. See, this is, this is problematic for the people of God. In Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, it says this in verse three. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. You see, it's, it's not, a, it's not really an issue of the statue of itself, and we have monuments in this country, but what, what the difference is, is, is this one is calling them to worship. It's calling them to give glory to that which doesn't deserve glory. See, this story we're going to see today is about a lot of things, and we can find lots of inroads with where we can place ourselves and say, here's a lesson, here's a lesson. But ultimately, I think, I think the idea is God is about your worship, and God is about his glory. More than anything, he's about our worship and his glory. And so throughout the story, I think we're going to see this. And if there's something, you, if you guys write stuff down, write this down. God's glory must be our catalyst, our motivation, and our end goal for everything we do in life. Okay, Our catalyst, our motivation, and our end goal. All right. Transition, some time passes, verse 8. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, you get it, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad amigo. See? See? Like that, Ricardo, if you're listening? Um, no, in all honesty, I, and I told him I wouldn't give him credit, but I will. That was actually Garth's joke. I took that. Um, thanks, Garth. Uh, these men. <laughs> all right, so those guys. These men, O oh, king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so, um, essentially, these, these Chaldeans come in, and they, they tattle on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Okay, and these, most likely, if you were with us last week, these are the same Chaldeans that were probably saved, that were delivered because Daniel was able to interpret the dream. See, they were going to be slaughtered off, but Daniel comes in, saves the day, saves all these guys' lives, and then you kind of just see they immediately turn and make probably a pretty political move here to try and supplant the Jews who have ascended to this position, Sajak, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, um, Here's here's what we hear about these, these three individuals is that um, when given the chance, when when given the the mandate to worship this statue, um, they, they, they said no. Right? They they chose not to worship the statue, rather worship God. See they, they realize that right in that moment there is a decision to be made right, that all around them there are people who are saying, this is what you need to worship, this is, this is what the king has said is do worship and glory, you better worship it, and they said, no, 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 that goes against what I know to be true about my God who deserves all glory, amen, you see, and so they, they, they resolve in that moment, so here's the deal, God's glory was their catalyst for their decision. See, it was, it was immediate. That, that decision was, okay, this is not about us. This is not about the glory of that image. This is about the glory of God, and so certainly we will not worship that image. See, and I, I think that's, we have that. We, we, we struggle with that every day. See, uh, Thomas Chalmers says that this world is one mighty theater of idolatry. See, that, that all around us, these, these things and these places and these people and media and culture try and, and, and pry our minds and our hearts to believe and buy into all of these different idols, these things, and whether it be uh, you know sex or, 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 or drugs or status or, or whatever these things are for us, money, um, they pull on us every day and ask for you to worship them. And we have to be able to resolve to say, hey, as good as those things might seem, this is about God's glory. And that will be the catalyst for making the decision in the moment to follow God and nothing else. Going on, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image I have made well and good but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace and who, and hold on to this one, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It's a bold question. Where's your God now? Essentially and I think how many of us, at least, and I, I just know I did this, actually, and then we'll see if you guys ever did this, had those dreams when you were a kid, right, where or you see it in a movie, where it's that very glorified moment, where someone has a gun to your head, and they're like, you need to, you know, uh, and you're like, no, never, I'll never bow down to you, you know, and you dream about that moment of saying, never, and then re- in reality, you probably would, but... Um, But man, I I can just picture this moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live out this dream, right? Live out this story of, man, they are saying, listen, you're going to die unless you do this thing. And let's see how they respond, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king." But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love their response. See, what, what, they, what they do is, is they say, okay, obvious, the obvious is they, they choose not to worship, but in that moment, they also proclaim who their God is. See, there's, a, there's, there's this proclaim versus this presume aspect. And I think it's, it's something that we kind of struggle with a little bit, too. Oftentimes, in, in times of trial, we often just presume that God owes us deliverance. Right? He, he owes it to us for the, to be happy and joyful and good all the time. But that's, that's clearly not what we see throughout Scripture. But rather, we, he, they, they, they proclaim the excellencies of God. They pro, proclaim that he is able to do it. But then, but then these three words... These three words that I think need to be, man, they need to be written on our hearts and minds. But if not, but if not, but, but but if God chooses not to, glory and power be His name. Martin Luther King said this: "I know that the God that I worship is able to deliver me, but if not, I'm going on anyhow. I'm going to stand up for it anyway." What does this mean? It means in the final analysis, you do right not to avoid hell. If you're doing right merely to keep from going to something that traditional theology has called hell, then you aren't doing right. If you do right merely to go to a condition that theologians have called heaven, you aren't doing right. If you're doing right to avoid pain and to achieve happiness and pleasure, then you aren't doing right. Ultimately, you must do right because it's right to do right because God has told us, man, it is right to give glory to God. That is just the natural action of a gospel changed heart is to look to Jesus to give him glory and honor and nothing else. And so I I get this is, man we struggle with this every day as we look at this world that tries and, and win us over with their various ideologies. And we have to be able to say, no, 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 even in the trial, God's glory was my catalyst, and now in the moment when when stuff gets hard, God's glory must also be my motivation. Right, there you go. God's glory must also be my motivation. So, man, as it gets hard, and hey, even in the mountaintop moments when it's good, God's glory's gotta be our motivation. And that's what it is for them, because I cannot imagine... I cannot imagine how they could stand there and say, "Listen, our God's able, but if He doesn't, we're still not worshiping your gods." Unless, unless they, man, they they knew it's about Him and not about us. Verse nineteen. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed, probably like my father's, right? Against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. So it's crazy, crazy hot. It's like here. Um, <laughs> see, I wonder, I wonder if he had, he had seen the power of this Hebrew God in the previous chapters and thought, all right, we got to just crank this thing up because this has really got to work. Verse 20, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's orders were urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. So so the king is just watching this this whole thing happen um, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, okay. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And so we've got King Nebuchadnezzar probably sitting on his throne and or sitting somewhere probably pretty cush and he looks over to this furnace and he sees four guys dancing around right doing whatever they're doing in the fire but they're not dying right which is problematic if you're Nebuchadnezzar and then says wait wasn't there just three? Yeah, there, there were just three kings, so, so this fourth. And so there's this kind of mysterious fourth character in this story randomly. And, and some people would say this is what you call, a theologians have called a Christophany, which is a, a pre, pre-arrival of Christ form of Christ, right? So essentially the Christ before he came to earth. And so others would say it's an angel. And either way, this is crazy and awesome, Right? Either way, the line, the truth that, regardless, okay, regardless of where you're at, what trial you're going through, God is with you, right? Is, is there not a more comforting idea in all this life? See, that, that, wherever you're at today, and I understand everyone's got a different story in this room and everyone is going through a different thing, but the truth, right, the, the constant is that God is with you in it. If God would go, okay, or send an angel, whichever one it was, into a fiery furnace, surely he is with you. Surely he's with you in everything that's going on. Nothing, I think, more comforting. And I, and I can only imagine, like, what those guys were thinking, right? So they're just thinking they're going to die, and then they're just hanging out in there, and then, hey, Jesus, what's up? Or angel. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. And their houses laid in ruins. Big 180 for this guy here. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Amen. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So, one kind of bullet point there is if you're looking to work your way up the corporate ladder, jump into a fiery furnace. See, here's, here's the real profound aspect, there's a lot of story there, and I hope you guys were able to follow along because the narrative is beautiful, but um, verse 15 like, that I had, I had told you to kind of keep note of before, he asks, and who is this God who will deliver you out of my hands? He, he seemingly answers his own question in verse 28, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants. See, he answered his own question. Who is this God that could deliver you guys? Sometime later, oh, it's, it's, it's this God, it's, it's the Hebrew God, it's the God that told me the dream that I had, it's the God of power, it is the God of God. gods, it is the Lord of kings, it is the revealer of mysteries, it is that God who is able to deliver. And I can't imagine that moment for Nebuchadnezzar to just be able to answer his own question that way. And then he makes the whole land, all people, nation, languages, Worship this God, right? So in the end, God's glory must be our end goal, right? So if we make a decision, we resolve early on, listen, God's glory will be my catalyst. I will make the decisions based on God's glory. And then in the midst of those decisions, as I navigate through them, his, his glory will be my motivation so that at the end, he will receive all glory and not me. God's glory must be our catalyst, our motivation, and our end goal. And see here's, here's, the, here's the problem, right? Ultimately, if we, if we bring this into today, here's the problem with with idols, right? And and the topic of this of this sermon in your study guides, if you guys are following, along, is an idol response. The problem with idols in our in our in our culture is, is that we think we think they're better than they are, right? We we, we think they're better than they are. Um, We recently, my wife and I, went and saw the movie Prometheus, um, and I'm going to say this right now, I'm going to spoil it right now, so if you haven't seen it, you can leave, it's not that weird, okay? Uh, Or plug your ears, don't make any noises, that'll get annoying, okay? But um, we went and saw Prometheus, and I thought it was a great movie, she hated it, uh, because she doesn't like violence, so probably not the best choice on my part, but... um, in the movie, okay, there is a collection of scientists and botanists and archaeologists and all these people, and so they go to this this, this place they've been invited to by what, what they believe to be the the. the the, the people that made us, right? So in, in other words, they're, they're looking to answer these major questions. They're looking to answer, where did we come from? Um, does, does God exist? There's just kind of all of these questions about, uh, about life and the, and the origins of life, right? And so they seek it out. And here's the deal. Each one of these guys and, and gals seem to go for a different reason. And so there's, there's one of the guys that goes because, man, this trip is going to pay a lot of money, Right? And he talks about that and he's like, look, I'm going because this is, this is worth it. It's two and a half years of work and I'm making bank. Right? So his, his idol in that moment is like, I'm willing to go and seek this out because it's about money. Right? and then you've got, uh, you've got a guy who's, who's really, really sick, and he believes that by meeting this other species or our, our uh, ancestors that they will be able to heal him, and so he's looking for health and longevity of life, and you go on down the line. They each have these different things that have brought them to this place, all seeking ultimately to find the big answers to life, the origin of life, and then in the end, all but one finds nothing but death, All but one find nothing but death. Ironically, the one that lives wore a cross. I don't know, okay? All of them found death. And and we got out of the movie, and I hadn't even thought about this idea, and Verity begins to tell me about why the movie affected her so much. Because she looks around our world, she looks around our churches, and sees us striving for these things that ultimately just lead to death. And, and, and she, honestly, her heart, she would not stop weeping, thinking about how often we, we allow ourselves to just be wooed by things that aren't worth it. By sex, and money, and status, and power, and popularity. These things that just say, hey, this is what value is found, and this deserves worship. Ultimately, these things deserve glory. But they don't. They just lead to destruction. And see, here's here's what makes the gospel different. See, the gospel, Jesus Christ. See, the gospel doesn't say that those things are bad. In fact, the gospel says that all those things are actually pretty good. But, but, But they get distorted, they get perverted when you put them above God. And so when Jesus comes to earth... Right when he lives the life that we could never live, that perfect life that we've always wanted to, where we never wrong anyone and everyone just thinks we're the best, I mean, that life, the life we could not live, and then dies the death that then we deserved because of the fact we couldn't live that life, when he does that and then raises on the third day, he, in that moment, becomes the only thing worth glory. Right? How? How many of these things are willing to die for you? How many of these things are willing to live out this life for you? How many of these things have the power to be raised again? None of them, right? And and, and that's somewhat obvious, but man, do we get wooed by him really easily. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again for you, for me, that we could have new life in a relationship with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That deserves all glory, honor, and praise. Amen. That deserves glory, honor, and praise. And it's for all of us. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And then, let's land here. A couple applications for us. Um, This is an illustration that I think we've used here a couple times before. But I think it's really good. And it really helped kind of make this. how 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 do I make God's glory be those three things um uh and let me me start with this there has been or has come to my attention the last week that a certain individual that used to play basketball for the phoenix suns is a bit of an idol in this city um yeah um i'm a los angeles laker fan and no one will listen to anything else i said today great so is ricardo so too bad um And so thanks for Steve. But here's the deal. I'm looking at Facebook statuses. I'm reading blogs. I'm talking to people. I'm seeing interviews done. You guys got some problems, okay? Um, He's just a dude, okay? But here's the deal. Phoenix Suns basketball, Steve Nash, are okay things to enjoy and to love and to to think highly of, but they belong kind of down here in this bottom rung of stuff right? So for me, it's LSU football, right? Like I am just awkwardly in love with LSU football, okay? Um, And that's kind of down here for me in this bucket of stuff that's okay to like and to enjoy, but belongs down here, right, and then just above that on this pyramid is your friends, okay, and, and this might be hard for some of you, you don't even like any of your friends, I don't know, but um, friends, people come before stuff, right, so if you are saying, hey, you're gonna ditch a friend or hurt a friend for a new iPod, I don't know, uh, that's wrong, right, and that friend will be upset, this is obvious, okay, but man, that is the way, unfortunately, in many circumstances. Um, our corporate culture is set up it's man money and, and these things, or I will to achieve these things, I will step on every single friend I got, and so those two can easily become mixed up above friends, we have family and, and again, and here's the deal. i don 't know all your stories, and some of you could have actually really rough family stories, and, and that's legitimate, and there are, there's many things and nuances to that, but in general, our families, our, our children included in that, brothers, sisters, parents, that, our family, usually comes before friends, right? And oftentimes, when you mix any one of those, things begin to get messed up, right? And then above family is your wife. She gets her own slot, or husband, if you're a woman, right? Um, they get their own spot, Okay, and that's important. If you're a young guy, you're not married yet, no, listen, your wife needs to come before your family, otherwise it gets real bad, okay? Um, I've never done that, but if counseling. Um, and then, uh, so wife, care for her, love her, support her, invest in her, and again, if any one of those gets messed up, it's a problem, and then, shocker, at the top needs to be God. Um, This this and and it's kind of funny. This it's a very simple diagram, and I get it. It's very almost children's ministry, but the idea is, man, the moment God gets supplanted in His top position by anything else, it's going to go bad. Okay, God must have that spot alone. That is where He belongs. Ultimate glory, ultimate worship. And on down the line, I guarantee you, this is this has made it so much easier for me to understand. that how do I make decisions? How are my decisions catalyzed by God's glory? Is is by remembering? Okay, he needs. I need to make sure my my priorities, my structure, my little pyramid is okay. So that's just that's just a little nugget for you. Um, and then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna land here. So will God always rescue us? No. But, but he does always promise to deliver us, and that, that's, either, that's either from death or in it, okay? That's either from death or in it for those who call Jesus Lord and Savior. Will God always cause your worst enemies to become your greatest fans? Uh, no, he, he won't always do that. But see, here's why we rejoice this morning. See, what, what Nebuchadnezzar tried to do to gather a people to worship an image all nations, languages, and tongues. What he tried to do in Babylon, Jesus does once and for all in Revelation chapter seven. Let me read this and we'll close here. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, Let's pray. God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the conviction um, of scripture and of your Holy Spirit. God, we do ask that you would teach us all the more what it looks like to look to your glory in everything we do. God, that we would focus our eyes on your greatness, on your importance, all that you have done, God, and not on ourselves and what we could do. God, would you indeed be the catalyst, the motivation, and the end goal to everything in our lives? And God, teach us how to do that best. It's not easy. But God, thank you that you have given us this story, the story of these three men and their faithfulness to you amidst uh, a world filled with, with other options, if you will. And so God, bless us, lead us, guide us, and draw us close to yourself. We love you and we thank you. It's your name we pray, amen.